Let's pray over the word. Is that all right? Let's uh, dive in. Uh, I announced a very bold and grandiose statement. Not quite as bold and grandiose as moving to Fort Worth, uh, but nearly. And that is that I was going to preach on the Hebrews. Uh, and uh, so if there's, a, if there's a book in the Bible to tackle uh, that, would, uh, that would challenge my brain, that would be attempting to preach on the Hebrews. So if you've ever prayed over a sermon, this would be the moment to do it. And we'll just pray that something good comes out in the next 30 minutes. Amen. Amen. Father, we just welcome you to uh, take the next few moments and just show your richness to us in the Word. We thank you that you're leading us in the Word, leading us by the Word, that we are Word-led people. Thank you for the Logos and the Rhema. We thank you for the richness of your Holy Spirit to us. We thank you that you illuminate. We ask that you would do that over the next, whatever this will be, a few weeks, few months, few years, that we look at Hebrews. It's a big book, folks. Uh, we just ask illumination will come. The spirit of wisdom and revelation will rest upon us. In Jesus' name, shout it. Oh, I needed that. That's good. Yeah. Amen. Is that all right? So uh, there's a problem when you introduce something like this. So uh, if we're going to do some kind of uh, expository teaching or preaching, of which Joel has been, Pastor Joel has been more bold to do this. She tackled Genesis once and, whoo, you know. So there's, you know, there's a problem is that you need a little introductory uh, commentary and little introductory thoughts. So uh, I'll just tell you off the get-go right now in case you are thinking about having, instead of, you know, like Arby's, roast beef. If you're thinking about having roast pastor afterwards, uh, I'll just tell you right now, we aren't even going to get the Hebrews one today. Probably. It is a good time to laugh. I mean, that, that, that's really good. I like that. Okay, so we probably won't get the Hebrew because we got some introductory uh, commentary. And so then if you come back next week, uh, our hope will be that we'll get to Hebrews 1. But we will get to Bible verses today. That's good. Amen? So it's appropriate to have the Bible intermixed with sermons and then possibly positive. Amen? Is that all right? So, but I want to, you know, I want to ask you today a little bit about, I want you to process as we think today, the framework of Hebrews, this is a book written to Messianic Christians. This is a book written to Jewish believers. So this is a book written to those that are Hebrew of lineage and of faith that have converted to Christ. They've come to recognize Jesus as Yeshua, as the anointed, as the Messiah. So this is a book written to them, and it was written in Hebrew. So that's interesting. So the book written to the Hebrew people and written in Hebrew and it would have been in its day, it would have been appropriate for Jewish converts, those that have come to Christ, those that have come to acknowledge and confess Christ, it would be appropriate for them all across Asia uh, and, and that the whole region from Jerusalem and then all the way to Italy where it's written, so we're told in chapter 13, verse 23, that it's written from Italy. Uh, and the writer, so uh, there's lots of argumentation about the writer, 
much of uh, much of the Evidence would indicate that Paul wrote it, and most of us would ascribe it to Paul, and uh, it was found in early transcripts uh, that date pre-200 A.D. as one of the epistles that he wrote. So there was somehow, there was claim laid to it, but the language differs quite a bit uh, from the other epistles. And so if he did write it, there's some confusion as to, you know, why would the language be a little bit different? Uh, could uh, someone else, could Barnabas have been involved? Could Apollos have been involved? Could someone else have been involved? So there's some linguistic questions with it. Uh, but for the most part, most of us, uh, especially that are laymen biblically, we would say, well, Paul wrote this. Uh, and uh, as he closes chapter 13, he uh, he talks about Timothy, and Paul had this super close relationship with Timothy, and in chapter 13, he's mentioning that the people, you know, the believers of Italy greet you. So uh, could have been writing from Rome as well. So it's kind of in that setting, and it's in this setting of great persecution. So as we think about the topic today and where I want to go with us today is just to think about what those believers faced, what those believers were going through, what those believers endured, just the setting of the time. You know, recently uh, we were blessed, we were privileged to go to Athens, we were privileged to go to Rome, and, uh, and there's monuments all over now to the martyrs. It's interesting uh, that in, 13, in 313 A.D., uh, Constantine uh, was involved in what became written as the Edict of Milan. Have you heard of that? And, uh, and this is where Christianity was finally inlawed instead of outlawed. This is where Christianity was finally uh, sanctioned in Rome. But before that time, uh, there, were, there were Christian martyrs uh, all the way from Rome, all the way to Jerusalem, and that whole region of Asia, Christians were finding themselves under great persecution. And so it's written in this time frame. And I think, you know, I, 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 as hard as it is for us uh, in America, uh, it's so hard for us to grasp that level of persecution, so hard for us to grasp uh, the potential of uh, the loss of property, the loss of family, the loss of jobs, uh, the law, you know, it's just so hard for us to grasp that. I've got a friend reaching out to me, and we converse on Facebook quite often uh, from Pakistan. He's in a very uh, tightly held Muslim area, and him and his family are just, they, they, are, they just barely eke by. Uh, all of the family, they're all cloistered together in one small home, uh, getting employment, finding employment, just getting enough uh, gathered together for them to have meals, uh, to eat, to, to survive is almost impossible because of the, the Muslim persecution against Christians in his region. And it's just so hard for us to, you know, and he, he, you know, he shares some of these things with me. We converse back and forth, but it's so hard for us to grasp this when we have the freedoms that we have. We have such vast freedoms, and these freedoms were bought 
These freedoms were purchased. These freedoms were given to us by the very people that, and I'm going to say Paul, was writing to in this book who laid down their lives for this day that we have today. People who who didn't back down, people who didn't recant, people who didn't lapse back into unbelief or lapse back into, in this case, Judaism. So it's interesting, by the way, they actually had a name for those. So as persecution grew, persecution uh, in the Roman Empire grew extensively, uh, massively against Christians starting in AD 64. So persecution was happening in, in Israel uh, before that, we know that. We know in the book of Acts, we know that the Jewish people, there were many Jewish people having a hard time with Christianity. And a great persecution arose in the book of Acts. You remember that? And out of that persecution, then Christians, and these would have been Jewish converts, were, were dispersed. And those Jewish converts were, were dispersed, and they went out sharing their faith with Gentiles. And God was showing them clearly in that day that he was sending this word to the Gentile nations. And so uh, 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 evangelism just, you know, exploded across uh, Asia. And a lot of that was happening as believers were escaping the heavy persecution that was happening through the the unbelieving Jewish people. So the people that were not uh, going along with Christ the Messiah. And so they went, and so salvation and breakthroughs, and of course this this was uh, we see this in Acts chapter thirteen, uh, where Paul and Barnabas were sent out, and you know all of this, and we have the the missionary journeys of Paul. All of this is happening, uh, but yet persecution in Rome and and the Roman Empire of Christianity was was very uh, light of nature, except that which was inspired by Jewish people and in the synagogues. So uh, we know that this is where uh, the crazy believers would go, right? Paul would, that's where he, probably the first place he would show up in any local city. If he was sailing in, he would head right to the synagogue and he would start sharing Christ. And so he was, you know, he was a a bold risk taker going right into the face of where there could be possible persecution. But we also know, and we got the privilege just recently to go up on Mars Hill, where he argued where there was multiple gods represented, and and they had one uh, that said to the unknown god. So he, he argues, hey, I know the unknown god. And that began a great breakthrough uh, in Athens and, and with Greece and, and with those people. So the atmosphere really for Christians across the region, except through persecution by the Jewish people, was, was very accepting until A.D. 64. And in A.D. 64, then Nero started persecuting the Christians with a vengeance. And uh, some of us, have you, you, you know, you've heard the saying, uh, that uh, that Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Yes, have you heard that? Okay, so isn't that crazy that such an idiom comes all the way to our day and we're familiar with such a thing? Well, guess who he blamed the burning of Rome upon? He blamed the burning of Rome upon the Christians, and that was the beginning 
of a great outpouring of not just government persecution, but mob persecution, uh, the populace persecution. And, of course, that increased all across Rome. And under Nero's rule, it wasn't long. Toward the end of his rule, we find that Christians were being put on torches. They were being uh, uh, covered with pitch. They were, they were lighting up uh, the, the Colosseum. I mean, there were so many things happening, not just the conf- confiscation of property and uh, 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 the, the, the abuse of them in every way and the loss of employment, and, but there was also the affliction unto death that was happening under Nero. So this, this book was written, it's interesting, when, when Romans was written, and who was Romans written to? The Romans, thank you. Uh, when, when Romans was written, there wasn't this level of persecution going on. Uh, and this level of persecution wasn't talked about. When this book was written, uh, even when this book was written, they were, the persecution was not unto death. So how do we know that? Well, we know that because there's actually a scripture here in the midst of the exhortation. Uh, he says, you have not suffered unto the shedding of blood. So do you remember that verse? Uh, let me find it for you here. Uh, it's uh, Romans 12:4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So the implication, and so we think about the timing of this, that means this book was written uh, before A.D. 68, somewhere in there, and before the fall of Jerusalem. And so again, remember, he's writing from Rome, but he's writing to, this book's going to be spread across the whole region, all the way from Rome, all the way back across the Mediterranean, all the way to not just Israel, but then spread down into Africa and Egypt, everywhere that, that believing Jews have been scattered, be it under persecution or uh, under missionary journeys, this book's going to be shared with them. Uh, and, and the letter, the book, is going to be shared to encourage them not to retreat that they really have done the right thing, that Christ really is supreme, that, 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 that the covenant we have with Jesus is better. And this becomes a theme throughout the book, by the way. As you read the book, and I would encourage you, uh, let's take some time together, if you would, and just start reading the book of Hebrews. That'd be all right? So just start taking a little bit of time, start with chapter 1, and then and I love to get real repetitive with this stuff. So I think it'd be fun. Uh, if we did that as well, if you finish up, uh, or, or sometimes uh, I get heavier downloads if I go through, like, chapters 1 through 3. By the way, chapters 1 through 6 are a section. So if you took chapters 1 through 6 and you read that chapter, or how many of you do audio Bible in the car or in your headphones or when you're jogging, walking the dog, or lifting weights, all of you men? Okay, four of you do audio Bible. Uh, okay, so encourage you. Uh, this is a great way to uh, to just start absorbing uh, what the writer was saying, and for us to be encouraged in this. Because as as we're looking at today's hour, actually, a lot of what we're going through today is very similar 
to what they were going through in their day. To where the state has become an enemy of Christianity, where the state has begun to rule in disfavor against Christ and against the rule, the influence of Christ, where persecution has grown, at least in the U.S. So, you know, worldwide, Christianity is growing exponentially, and uh, uh, its influence is growing worldwide in crazy measures. But in the States, we've been experiencing about 40 years of increased uh, uh, pushback and increased trouble and increased uh, 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 conflict with what we believe uh, at a local and at a state level and in education and in media and in every way. And so in a lot of ways, I think this book is really super appropriate for where we're at today and the encouragement that Paul gives us, the encouragement that, that this book gives is appropriate for us today to be sure that we're, that we're armed because I think that God wants to circumvent what the enemy's up to right now, that he is awakening, quickening, raising up, encouraging a people right now that as those people, that's you, everybody say that's me, as those people respond to the environment, respond to the culture, respond to what's happening with God's method, with God's plan, with God's love, with the spirit of wisdom, with the spirit of prayer, then I think God wants to circumvent this that's happening in our culture. We're not headed, by the way, we're not headed to to a European destination. We're not headed to empty churches all across the nation. We're not headed to uh, uh, relics that we drive by. And, oh, yeah, that there used to be a great church there. The, it's kind of a museum now, and they've got a, yeah, they've got a tour on Friday. At, you know, and We're not headed to that place. Some of you know that. We're headed into a place of restoration. We're headed into a place of, of growth and kingdom expansion. And, yeah, there are relics everywhere in our cities. There are. There, there are old relics. Uh, but what's crazy is is that as those old relics, uh, uh, those older buildings have become empty, and uh, there's only maybe five or ten people gathering at some of these places, or they've been sold, or they've been bulldozed over, uh, or uh, you know a, a group has taken them over that that really their faith is so contrary to ours, it's crazy. As that's happening, God is raising up amazing churches all across this nation. Church planting is continuing, just like Mercy Culture will be launched in, in Fort Worth. Uh, God is raising up, and there is a crazy, good, powerful move of the Spirit in our nation. And so we don't want to see, we don't want to see this with a negative lens. We want to see, okay, we're going to stay engaged. We're going to take the encouragement that was given to these believers in troubled times, troubled times where immorality was huge, where plurality of gods was, was not only obvious, but it demanded sanctuary and it demanded sacrifice. Be it Jupiter, be it Saturn, be it whatever the god was of the Greek or the Roman culture, it demanded, it demanded facility, it demanded money, it demanded sacrifice, and, and, and we're not going there. We're not going there. We're going to a day where the church is expanding and growing 
And God's going to use the believer of this day to circumvent what the enemy would love to do. Amen? Do you believe that? That's what I'm believing. Now, this was written to Jewish believers, and this is interesting. Uh, The temptation of the Jewish believers was so different than the temptation of the Gentile believers. So I think this is part of why the book is maybe one of the greatest theological treatises in the, in the whole Bible. This book is so rich. Literally every single page is so rich. I mean, you, you can't go but a sentence or two without literally the richness of God just kind of permeating, saturating your heart. And you're like, what in the world could all of this mean? Part of that is that the writer... The writer is with passion trying to convince the Jewish believers to not go back. Because what happened is when persecution rose and when persecution increased, it was not against Jewish people. There were synagogues all the way across that whole region from Africa up into the uh, the. Uh, the coastline of Israel, and then all the way to the north uh, of Mediterranean, all the way over to Rome. There were synagogues everywhere. Jewish people were recognized. Jewish people were welcomed. Jewish people were not under persecution during this time. But if they converted to Christ, they would be. So guess what? There was one way out. There was one way out of the flogging, the death threats, the confiscation of property. There was one way out of what became what became the sacrifice of their very families and their lives, the taking of their children. All they had to do was go back to the synagogue. All they had to do was publicly recant their faith. If they would just publicly recant their faith. Fact is, at one time, at one time, following Nero, the 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 next emperor to rule, they had. They had squadrons assigned to go into cities, and they would just go and find believers' gatherings or believers or those who were being named as believers, those who uh, uh, were known in the city as believers, and they would call upon them to recant their faith. And they had to make a public recant. And if they would do that, if these Jewish believers would just calm down, if they would just recant, if they would just go back to the synagogue, then they would be no longer among those who were persecuted. They would be set free from what could come upon them. And so many did. There was a great falling away. How many of you know the Lord talked about a great falling away? There was a great falling away. They became known as the lapses. They lapsed back. They actually had a name. They were known as the lapses. They were, they were known as those who went back on their faith. And so the writers trying to convince these Jewish believers that, that Jesus is so supreme, that what you've come into is so amazing, that, it, it, that whatever you do, don't go back. Don't compromise. Don't give up your faith. And he's trying to convince them that, that, uh, that, there will be a great recompense of reward if they won't give up their faith, if they won't, if they won't give, give up their stance for, for Yeshua, for Jesus as the Christ. And so that's a huge framework of this. And so there's this massive pressure 
like daily pressure to compromise, to retreat, to give up this confession that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that what Handel wrote in the Messiah, and we've preached on it here, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, that that he is wonderful counselor, the mighty God, that the government shall be on his shoulders, that he is the prince of peace. And so there was, there was threat in the government. There was threat in the government. And there, there's this sense of, of separation and alienation in that these people who call themselves Christians and who are called Christians, that they have an allegiance to a higher God. They have an allegiance to a higher master. That they believe something that contradicts culture and contradicts what we believe and what we accept and what we allow. And that has to be stamped out. And sometimes I think we feel that a little bit right now, that what we believe contradicts popular culture. It contradicts what the state says goes. But we're answering to a higher authority. We're answering to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're answering to one whom the Bible says the government is on his shoulders. And so that becomes a threat that becomes a threat. And I think we, we have to see that we're in a type of spiritual warfare and that as pressure mounts, what, what, will, what will it take or what would work or, or what, would, what would the enemy be able to use to get you, to get me, to back down, to be quiet, to be silent, to retreat, to give up what it is we truly believe in and just begin to frame everything in a, in a love, in a love that is devoid of truth. A love that is devoid of truth. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When I say that, are, are you hearing what I'm saying? There's this, strong, there's this strong pressure, even in culture today, that we elevate love above truth. And that we actually dismiss truth for the sake of love. That love triumphs all. That love trumps. That love is central. But you can't have love without truth. The two can't coexist without each other. The two are forever married together. And yet, what happens with us sometimes, and I'm sure that they felt this as well, is that we want to be liked. We want to be accepted. We want to be loved. We want in many ways to fit in, but yet what we believe runs counterculture to that environment. So then for us to be loved, and I want to just throw this out at you today. I'm sure they dealt with this day in and day out, is that really what's more important than to be loved is to be respected. This is more important than to be loved, right? Solomon wrote, back when he had wisdom, he wrote, the fear of man is a snare. When we find ourselves, I I mean, I'd rather be vulnerable to what Joe thinks about me. I'd rather be vulnerable to what Sandy thinks, what Jeff thinks, what Karen thinks, what Ted thinks. A fellow believer who's got something good in mind for me, 
But when I begin to posture my heart to fear what unbelievers think, to fear what the government thinks, to fear what the state thinks, to fear what some authority that is contrary to Christ thinks, and I begin to move my behavior and my mindset and my heart so that I can dummy who I really am and who God is in me and what the truth is in me, to bow to that so that I can be accepted and loved, this is, this is not what we're called to do. This is not loving our own life unto death. I'm going to love the truth so much that I'm willing to die for the truth. If, if they've got to take my life for the truth because I won't back away from the truth, I'm going to... And this is the beginning of what happened with Stephen. And I want to tell you, there's a spirit. There's a spirit, and it's not just a human spirit. There's a spirit in the atmosphere of the day that wants to stone those who stand for the truth. That wants to bring violence against those who want to stand for the truth. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean we should bow, nor does it mean we have to walk in the truth outside of love. The Bible says, Ephesians 4.15, that when we mature into the fullness of him, we'll speak the truth in love. Jesus spoke the truth, and he spoke the truth in love. That's us. We're going to speak the truth. We're going to live the truth. We're going to walk the truth. We're going to be epistles of the truth, and it's going to be married fully to love. You believe that? That's our heart. Listen to these exhortations about turning back, and we'll close with this. Hebrews 2.1, you'll find this throughout the book. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard so we don't drift away from it. For if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable, every transgression and disobedience received just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect this great salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them, both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. So here he's, he's, he's imploring them. He's imploring them. What you've heard is real and rich. Don't, don't forsake it. Chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. This is important for us as well, that, that, that there's, there's breakthrough coming for us as there was for them. They got a breakthrough, by the way. They got a massive breakthrough, and, and that was consummated in 313. When Constantine, when that edict of Milan was written, and suddenly Christians were the in crowd instead of the out crowd, how many of you know they got a massive breakthrough? And it came through the lives of those who were willing to lay down their lives and those who would not bow, wouldn't bend, wouldn't give up. But it also came on the knees, secondly, on the knees of those who knew what to do in that hour, that they were called to pray in that hour, 
that they were not fighting with flesh and blood. There was a spirit at work. It wasn't a human spirit. There was a spirit at work, even as Paul had written to the Ephesians, we are not wrestling with flesh and blood. We are wrestling with principalities and powers, wickedness in the spirit realm. So he says, pray. He says, pray. He says, pray. He says, pray. He says, use offensive weapons. Use the sword of the spirit. And I wonder today, in our day, and I'm going to ask the band to come as we close with this. I wonder in our day, I just feel, even with me, I feel that the lack of persecution and the acceptance of our faith also removes the unction and the press to pray. So as we bask in our liberties, we retreat a bit from prayer, and as we retreat from prayer a bit, then the enemy's strategy, which is daily offensive, grows. And we don't see ourselves needing to be offensive because we see that we have so much freedom. But what if those freedoms are being lost as we've seen? Can you see that we've had freedoms lost in the last 40 years? Since prayer was taken out of public school in 1962, can you see that we've lost some freedoms in America? Can you see that the, that the in, the popularity, the power, the grace, the efficacy, the, the warmth of the gospel has lost some of its ground in America? Can you see that? Could it be that we need to posture ourselves in prayer as if we're under persecution? Could it be that we need to posture ourselves more in an offensive stance? Do we realize that we are wrestling, not with humans around us, we're wrestling with an animation, a spirit of darkness, the working of darkness that wants to animate the humans around us, that wants to invade government, that wants to invade education, that wants to bring perverse ideas and unclean philosophies into our schools, into our government, into our situations, things that can't be overcome with threatening things that can't be overcome with signs or placards, things that can't be overcome by fighting anger with anger or vengeance with vengeance or violence with violence. We can't fight it that way. We fight it on our knees, church. The generation that lived to see the Edict of Milan, that generation, they must have had a shouting hallelujah party for a good 40 years or more. That generation must have pinched themselves for weeks. Every time they could gather locally, every time they could gather in public, every time they could come out and have a prayer meeting, they must have, like, this was crazy. They brought out their instruments. They brought out their harps. They had worship in the streets for the first time now. Since the crucifixion of Christ, they had acceptance across the whole realm. What was that like for them? And this is the privilege that we have and cherish. But we're called to fight to hang on to it. Let's stand this morning. We're called to a spiritual battle. We're called to a spiritual battle. We're called to a spiritual battle.
not to bow outwardly to the spirit of the day, but not to compromise or to lapse in the quietness in our hearts, in our hearts, in our hearts, in our cars and in our prayer closets. How much time do we waste with amusement and entertainment that could be used in prophetic declaration and prayer? How much time do we waste in frivolity and foolishness? Dwayne, are you saying don't recreate? No, I'm not. Dwayne, are you saying we can't have any amusement? Not at all. But could we, could we grab some, some time? Could we grab some attention? Could we grab a little bit of what we are maybe just burning up as that which doesn't have value? How did Jesus say it? He said it this way. You're going to give an account of every idle word. He wants our words to actually produce something that moves the kingdom forward. And I want to encourage you. We can do that in our cars. We can do that in our prayer closets. We can do that on our knees. We can do that when we're shopping. We can do that everywhere we go. We are the temple of the living God. And Jesus, the power of the Lord, rides on the words that come out of your mouth. The Spirit of God rides on the words that come out of your mouth. And we have the power and the grace, the calling and the time to release the angels of God to turn our nation around, to turn our situations around, to turn our government around, to turn our education centers around. And I believe God is using us and will use us greater. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes this morning? Just hands up everywhere. We just want to, again, say with Isaiah. When the Holy Spirit was calling Isaiah, it says that he brought a coal and touched his lips. He's visiting Isaiah. This is the beginning of his calling. And his confession, his declaration to the Lord was, Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. And I want us to say that if your heart is just lifted this morning, knowing, hearing, believing that we are useful against persecution. We are useful in the kingdom. We are useful, and God has not meant or ordained that persecution would increase in the nation, but that God would redeem this nation, that God would turn this nation around, the hearts of this nation, that God would affect change in our government and in education and in media and in entertainment, every mountain of culture and society. And so, Father, this morning we say, Here I am. Send me. Send me. Send me. Send me. I welcome the illumination, the conviction. I welcome the inspiration, the encouraging inspiration to just be used of you in prayer and proclamation, petition, confrontation, and overcoming the enemy, turning off the radio, turning off that which could be without great value, that which could be frivolous, or that which could be unuseful. But grabbing that time, grabbing that opportunity, Lord, I welcome you to inspire my heart, inspire my voice. I welcome you to make me a Jeremiah in my day. Even as that generation rejoiced when persecution was silenced, when the Milan edict was dispatched across 
the whole region of Rome and Roman rule, we welcome today. We welcome by vision a day, a day where those in the United States are rejoicing over the word, where there's traffic jams across the nation on Sunday morning, where the streets are filled with those getting to the house of the Lord. where the kingdom of God is elevated, where the word of the Lord is again esteemed in our nation, Lord. We just say yes. We say yes. We say yes. We know it's a spiritual battle. And we say yes. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, let's worship as we go this morning. Here I am, God.